Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It is the Monday show on a Tuesday. Myself and Aaron Stokes are ready to reflect on Newcastle's 0-0 draw with Leicester City. The point that secured top four football and Champions League football for next season. And let's just say it to the critics that Newcastle are in the Champions League, not through luck, but by merit there. Through hard work, commitment and effort, through a game plan and a belief that Newcastle are not to fear, but to be feared. I told you last week not to worry because it was in their hands and collectively the club did what it had to. And that meant you guys as well cheering the players over the line and the players put in the shift that was needed as well. And to those critics who claim Newcastle's success has been done by spending an old untold fortune, I say to you, look closer, much closer, because this is not about money, but about the effort on the training pitch, improving each and every player. It's not only lazy to say that Newcastle bought their way to Champions League football, it's incorrect. Betty Howe and the fans will not worry about those who play down the club's achievements for they know the truth, they know the reality and that is quite simply, Aaron, Eddie Howe's Champions League magpies. Newcastle United in the Champions League. There we go. Podcast done. Done. Time to go all to the pub. Do? Yeah, that's all we need to say, I think. It still doesn't sound real. Don't think it's going to sink in for a while. Um, certainly didn't sink in last night. Don't think... Starting to maybe now this, uh, this afternoon, but... Yeah, I think until we hear that, that famous anthem at St James's Park, it's not going to feel real. I'm very glad that those at the club did not listen to certain sections of the Newcastle fan base on social media who called for the Champions League anthem to be played at full time because that would have been a little bit awful. cringy. Yeah. Yes, but we will look forward to hearing it in September. Come the first game at St James's Park, um, it, it wasn't easy last night. Obviously, the junior nil, they would have liked to, of course, have gone out with all three points to have scored in the final home game of the season. They had their chances, but Leicester City clearly came with a game plan. That was to sit back, frustrate Newcastle. Could get to the hour mark. You throw on your Madison, you throw on your Harvey Barnes and try and nick the win, which they did at the very end. And that's where we're going to start. With Sir, I've knighted him. I haven't got the power, but I've knighted him. Sir Nick Pope. Yeah, I mean... I don't know about you being in the ground, but the last five, ten minutes of that game, you felt like, okay, Leicester could actually snatch this. After sitting back and camping in their own half for 92 minutes, it would have been criminal for them to snatch it. But I have to say, them last five minutes, I know more about the back ends of the Melbourne, the, the final wall in the Melbourne stand, because I couldn't watch the game. Yeah, it was. I had my back to it. It, it, it. There was just this sort of nervous energy swirling around the stadium where Leicester had suddenly decided to actually give it a go. Um, and when that when that volley gets hit by Castagna, I think, and that's in the back of the net, and it's going down the final day. But yeah, that's why, that's why he's there, uh, Sir Nick Pope. It is, and it just talked to me about that, that save because to have nothing to do for so long and then all of a sudden you're called upon, it, it was a, a real reaction save, and that is why... For me, he's the best goalkeeper in the Premier League. I mean, big call, but I don't think many people would disagree with you. I think Eddie Howe you know, was asked about it last night and, and said um, that's what you get from him. I mean, he's a top-class shot stopper. And as you say, to not have anything to do for 93 minutes, just as we stood there, a couple of goal kicks, absolutely fantastic reflex save. But my heart was in my mouth at that point and I thought, is it going to be one of those nights? Yeah, I did. I, 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 do you know what? No, actually, no, I didn't. I didn't because I never I felt. I never felt Leicester were going to to nick it. And I and we mentioned this quite often as well. I think if you believe you're vulnerable, then that will spread around the ground, and then it will spread onto the pitch. And Newcastle, yeah, they dropped deep in them last five minutes, but I always felt they were going to get it clear. I always felt they would get it away. And obviously, look, there's always a chance the opposition can score, but also when you've got a top class goalkeeper in net, who's always ready to react when called upon. I mean, there's always a chance that he'll stop whatever comes his way, and he did. And I don't know about you, I've watched that several times today. I just, it's, I've just watched it on repeat because it's such a good save. I haven't, I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't watched it back. And you I feel like, I feel like even when I watch it back for the first time, in my head it'll still be flying at the net. I'm not, I'm not ready to believe that it was a, a save at that point in the game. I mean, let's let's be completely frank. If Leicester had won that game last night in the ninety third minute, 
That would have been the biggest Premier League robbery of the season. I've never seen a team sit so deep for so long, not even attempt to press at all anywhere on the pitch. And and I'm going to be completely honest with you. I was sat there during the game thinking, what are Leicester doing? Relegation battle, you know, their Premier League futures on the line, what an abject performance. And I will admit, sitting in the press conference with Dean Swift, the Leicester manager after, my mind was changed. Because actually, he made a couple of good points. They wanted to sit deep, they wanted to soak up pressure, they wanted to stay in the game. They thought if they attacked Newcastle, they were going to um, be cut open, as we've seen Newcastle do many times this season. And actually... I'll apologise to Dean Smith for my, my, my during the game thoughts. Do you know what when I when I got in last night the the better half asked how was it nil nil who so who played better and I said well if you're asking me whose game plan worked it was Leicester City's yeah because they came with the game plan to say at Newcastle they were they were invite, essentially inviting them on they were saying you come and attack us and I still think Newcastle aren't one hundred percent comfortable when they have to do that. Mm-hmm. They do like it when teams leave space and they can you know, hit them quick on the transition, whereas Newcastle last night really had to pass the ball around. And it was a mature performance, it really was. There was some lovely bits of play within that 90 minutes, but they did struggle to really break Leicester. I know they had their chances, but what pleased me, it was another... What they did, they did well, Newcastle, I thought, even though they didn't get the goal. And it was another side to this Eddie Howe Newcastle United that we don't maybe often see and and it shows that they're not just a one-trick pony they've got other ways of, of playing against against sides yeah Leicester made it really really tough especially the first 40 minutes you know Newcastle were sort of restricted shots from quite a way out Fabian Cher trying to get goal of the season with one of the worst volleys I've seen this season it wasn't until as I say the last five minutes of the first half that Newcastle actually got into the groove and you know really should have been ahead before the break as we know second half there was more chances to come um, but Leicester really did ride their luck I think yes it was a it was a solid defensive performance but if one of those chances went in there's no way they're getting anything from the game but credit to them they came with a plan they executed it and you know a point in the end isn't, isn't too bad a result for them uh, Joseph says we played good football Tracy says we played them off the park and Les just says happy Tuesday <laughs> Um, Newcastle did have their chances. They hit the woodwork three times in the game. There was a couple of really good saves that Evenson had to make. And it was probably more that their luck was out than anything else because, as you say, it just takes one of those goals to go in and Newcastle probably go and score two or three. I mean, admittedly, I put a 6-0 bet on and that didn't quite come in. So you tell us you're the reason that they, they drew no no Jinxed so, it. Someone did tweet me afterwards and said uh, the heart nearly gave him once I'd said 6-0 and it, it didn't end. On <laughs> on another fashion. day, on another day, it generally could have been three or four. I mean, Wilson's hit the post from two yards. Miggy's hit the post. Bruno's somehow not put it over the line from a yard. I mean, on another day... They would have had an absolute hatful. It just, it just wasn't to be. We had long staff force and a good save and Isaac as well. And that was a lovely bit of play. Trippier to Miggy, Miggy into the box, and then a, a wonderful pick out. And Isaac did everything right, really. And Everson had to be on the top of his game to stop that. Yeah, they played some. As as somebody said in the comments, there they played some really good football. I really enjoyed Isaac and Anderson together down the left. Thought they combined really well in the first half. Miggy and Trips back to doing what they've been doing all season at St James's Park, um, and yeah, as you say, Everson had to had to be on his game because otherwise, um, it would have been over pretty quickly. And Newcastle started fast. You could see the way they were moving the ball. Isaac was was creating a lot of issues for Leicester out on the on the flank, and Miggy down the right as well. I mean, in the entirety of the game, they had seventy eight percent possession, six hundred and twenty eight accurate passes so I think it was 708 overall 628 were accurate Leicester had 123 passes I mean when you hear them numbers it shows you just how dominant Newcastle United were and like I say the look was probably a bit out but I also felt at the same time they probably could have played until next week and and, and not found a way through yeah it, that that re, that right there is why I was so 
convinced Leicester were going to snatch it at the end because it was one of those nights where it was just never going to go in for Newcastle and I thought it would just be sod's law that they go up the other end and with their first chance of the game, they snatch it. Um, as you've touched on, it shows a very different side. Newcastle have been so gung-ho at times this season in terms of you know scoring four or five goals in a game. They had to work for it last night and even though they weren't really you know ever at threat of losing it for 93 minutes... Um, they're gonna have a lot more of that next season where teams think we're just gonna we're just gonna let you play and hope we can try and snatch them on the counter. Now, for what I've play, praised Leicester City's game plan coming in and trying to get a point, I, I do think though they would have had they pushed Newcastle a bit more in those last ten minutes, yeah. the result could have been totally different because very early on in the second half. In fact, in the first half, I mean, Fabian Chair was essentially playing as a, a second right winger. You know, they, they were so far up the pitch in Newcastle. Leicester was so deep, but they just didn't seem to want to to push out in Newcastle. And I think they've maybe missed a trick because what we saw in the last five minutes, when Newcastle were looking a little bit nervous, nervous, Fabian Chair stopped on the ball twice, and Longstaff managing to recover when he when he when he slips and. Obviously, you've got the you've got the save that was made by Nick Pope. Newcastle were looking a wee bit nervous, and I think Leicester missed a trick because I think they could have forced that nervousness a lot earlier in that second half had they had the desire to do so. I think when they brought Harvey Barnes on, I thought, okay, maybe now they're gonna they change the system up. They they, they change from four four two, and and sort of had three attacking midfielders and, and a central striker, and still they just didn't want to they just didn't want to press. They didn't want to counter. There was a there was a Moment in the second half when Newcastle again were camped in Leicester's half. Cher loses it to Ndidi. And actually, if Ndidi had just had a little bit of patience about him and looked up, he would have seen that actually it was a two-on-two. And if he played that ball over the top to Vardy, I don't think Sven Botman would have caught him. Instead, it was rushed. It went out of play. Vardy had to turn around and say, what on earth are you doing? And I agree. I think if Leicester had actually said, you know what, we can actually capitalise on Newcastle on the counter... It might be a different story, but as I said, Dean Smith in the press conference after made no apologies for the way they played. He said that was the plan. We stuck to it. Um, I know it wasn't pretty, but we knew if we tried to play Newcastle at the old game or we tried to go two attacking, they would have had us. And going 1-0 down at St James's Park on a night like that last night with that atmosphere, it would have been curtains for them. Do you think it gives how food for thought for next season when he reflects back on this this game and he looks at the way Newcastle United have played, like people in the comments saying, like we've said, it was mature, they were good on the ball, they were quick, they were sharp with the passing. They just couldn't find that kind of, the ball, well, they just couldn't find the goal. And Do you think he looks at it and he, he'll want to work on just making sure maybe they're a little bit more clinical? I know people say, well, they hit the post three times, there's nothing you can do about that. But again, I look back on it and think, they're not entirely 100% comfortable having to take the game to the opposition at the moment. If, if I'm completely honest, I think even if last night it hadn't happened, it would probably be something they're working on. You look at, and, I, and I'm not comparing Newcastle United to Manchester City, but in the years to come, if that's what they want to be, fighting for Premier League titles, they're going to have to get used to teams like Leicester and Everton and Wolves and all these sitting buying the ball, um, as pretty much every team does um, at the Etihad this season. So it'll come. As you say, I thought it was a mature performance without them you know, dominating the they didn't get frustrated. They kept trying to look. They worked some brilliant openings. Um, it's just a shame that they couldn't get over the line with a, with a bit of a flurry. Now, there's a very late change in the starting eleven. Elliot Arneson uh, started in, in place of Joe Linton, who sadly missed out. First off on Joe Linton. Um, brilliant moments when they were doing the lap of honour where the whole ground was serenading him um, and he's holding his little daughter and his, 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 his better half has kind of ushered him away from her, and he, she's taken a nice video of the whole crowd singing. And I think he really felt that moment as well. It's testament to how far he's come. Did they miss him against Leicester? I think Ellie Anderson had a good game. I thought he played really well. It shows you why Eddie Howe wants him in this squad. It shows you why, once again, he probably won't go out on loan next season, but a different type of player to Joe Linton. I don't think they, they missed him because... You know, they didn't really need him. It wasn't a midfield battle. You know, Samarian and Didi just didn't want to get involved with Longstaff and Bruno. So Newcastle just sort of had full control. I was actually obviously I didn't want Joe Linton to get pulled out in the warm up. You could tell how good he was on the bench, um, before kickoff. 
but I've wanted to see Arneson. We've wanted to see Arneson. We've called for it on this podcast. And actually, I think the last home game of the season was the perfect time to play him. He looked very comfortable, as I, as I mentioned earlier. thought him and Isaac combined brilliantly down that left-hand side. Um, he looked assured, and, and I agree. I, I'd be surprised if he goes out on loan next season. He looks a lot fitter. He looks bigger. He looks more comfortable in this team. Hopefully, next season is the one where we see him you know, properly kick on and, and reach that potential. Not afraid to shoot either. He sees a chance of goal. He takes it, which I really, really like because you need that. You know, you, you're going to have to miss to score is the old phrase for Mark McDonald. So, brilliant to see that. And a good relationship, like you said, with Alexander Izak as well. There was a lot of overlapping. I think my only concern there is just to try and get the ball into the box. There was quite a few times yesterday where they either went back on themselves just didn't get the ball in the box and maybe that was all part of what was on its stake maybe yeah I think Isaac certainly there's a couple of times where you think okay put the ball in and he cuts back on himself but a lot of the time you had Anderson overlapping I think you know Trippier was sending a lot of balls in when Miggy was probably a bit reluctant to I thought it was a good mix yesterday they were very very you know frustrated by Leicester in the first half um, second half it opens up more I thought it was a and it was an assured performance without the without the goals and Graham says Anderson did not look out of place. Uh, time and patience required with him. Yeah, big future ahead. I don't know about you. Very late on though, that I I, I love the way that Newcastle do play from the back and they do it very well. They're very assured of themselves. But I did feel last five or ten minutes there's a few instances where I was just screaming to myself, just get rid of the ball. Stop trying to pass it about there. I don't care if you put it in the row Z, but do not get caught in that position. Fabian Cher towards the back end looked like a player who's in need of a rest. He looked like he was going to hand it to Leicester towards the end. Um, I don't know about you, obviously you were sat up in the Melbourne, I was in the press box. It's sometimes hard to gauge the atmosphere around the stadium when you're not really in it like that. Um, did you feel like there was a nervy atmosphere the last five, ten minutes? Yeah. For me, I felt like there was a... Every time Leicester went anywhere near the final third, there was just sort of a collective... Okay, just there, there were a rid, few takeaways because obviously beforehand was brilliant. The display by War Flags was something Absolutely that I think fantastic. will stay with everybody for a yeah. long time. The atmosphere after we'll get into that in a moment, but that was also brilliant. But I felt the game as a whole, there were pockets of it where the fans were in great voice, especially the kind of right at the start. And one or two of the, the chances kind of provoked a reaction, but as a whole, I think the I think the crowd were we bit nervous but not like I say nervous in a way that it affects the team because I think they believe in the players and they believe that they would get over the line of course as time goes on and you see Leicester trying to push it, 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 you are going to get a, a tad nervous and I do think them last five minutes was was, was quite interesting everyone was just willing the uh, willing the, the, the final whistle to go and interesting I set a timer on five minutes and he was only 10 seconds over. So, uh, you know, thank goodness there was no Fergie time. But yeah, I, I did feel there was a little bit of nerves creeping in towards the end. But again, I think when the players needed that extra boost, the fans were there. It roared in the morning. It, it, it's a really united effort. Yeah, I thought, uh, just a, a special mention of the the uh, display beforehand, War Flags just keep, keep outdoing themselves. I can't wait to see what they've got up their sleeve um, for the Champions League next season. A little bit of a flat atmosphere, I thought, at times in the game, but I think that was probably not helped by the fact that Newcastle were really, really struggling to, to break Leicester down. Um, but certainly for me, the last five, ten minutes, I was I was racked with nerves. There, there was an interesting moment just after um, Nick Pope saved. I think Sven Botman gets the ball. And Leicester, it, it was like the referee's whistle had blown for a foul because Botman just had the ball at his feet and he was kind of just walking forward and then... The Leicester didn't press, and you could just tell that neither side wanted the ball, neither side, they just wanted the whistle, because a point in the grand scheme of things was probably the best result for both of them, and it was really weird, and you could sense, I think, midway through the through, through the second half, when Newcastle maybe just took their foot off the accelerator slightly, that the crowd weren't really sure whether to be like, come on, let's get forward and or get just, at them, yeah. or just go, okay, is it the worst idea just to sit back? And I think that changed when the nerves maybe a little bit crept in to the way they were playing in the last five minutes when they looked a little bit nervous on the ball and then that was maybe what set the crowd off. It was There was just a lot of interesting moments where I think in Newcastle of old, obviously if they're fighting for something and they don't go for it, 
the reaction would have been different. But yeah, it was just interesting to sense that because I'm not even sure really towards the end what, what the fans wanted. <laughs> it was like one of those really weird World Cup group games where both teams know they need a draw and they're both through and they just knock it about their own half for a bit. There was times in that second half where it looked like it was a training session for both teams. No no urgency. Although I do have to say, watching Jacob Murphy warm up is is, is something special because every time the ball goes out, right, Jacob Murphy was like ushering the ball, but come on, he was he wanted the ball back in. So he's trying to get the ball into play really quickly. And then he comes on and there's a foul very late on over on the right hand side just in front of the dugout. And uh I think Dan uh, Botman maybe sets the ball down. Trippier walks over towards it, and Murphy just turns to the ball boy and just like ushers him to throw the ball on the pitch, which the ball boy does to waste time. And it's just like Jacob just Jacob just doesn't even know what he wants. I don't think any, that that's the thing. There was times where he thought, "Go forward, get the goal." Leicester there for the take, and also he thought, "If Leicester don't want to attack you, and they're not even going to try and win, why are you why are you actually risking it?" It was one of those very, very strange games. It, I tell you what, it sets up a lovely final day at the bottom of the table, which I'm excited for. I think Leicester giving themselves a, a little fighting chance, maybe. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see who goes down. And, and so refreshing that we don't have to worry about relegation from Newcastle United point of view. Here's what Eddie Howe had to say after the game against Leicester City. And he, uh, he got a wee bit of emotion. Yeah, it, feel, it feels amazing. It really does to, to share that moment with the supporters at the end there. Uh, emotional moments really and very very proud of everyone connected with the club the supporters the the owners who were on the pitch at the end it was amazing to be with them and the uh yeah the whole squad with their families brilliant memories it's a difficult one i got asked that earlier and i, I think that the difficulty is there's no trophy you know it's a, it's a, an amazing achievement and an amazing thing really for for where we've come from in such a short period of time, but it feels difficult to celebrate it like you've won a league or or, or, or something like that. But yeah, it's right up there. Of course, it is. It's a, an amazing thing at a, a very special club. No, not 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 that um, this wasn't in our sights at that moment. I think we had escaped relegation impressively from the position that we we're in. We were hopeful of improving and staying away from danger and growing the the team to a position where maybe we could compete for, for Europe in a couple of seasons. So we're, we've shot ahead of schedule. So with that comes big challenges for the future. But I think when you're in these moments, you have to take, you know, when, when there's an opportunity of something like this, you have to take it. And that's where I can't compliment the players enough because very easy for us to have faded away at some stage during a difficult run or a difficult moment, but we haven't. And that's credit to the mentality of the group. Look at that. A group effort. It's not about Eddie Howe, is it? It's about Newcastle United. And that's the mentality that he's built there in the dressing room. And that includes also the fans as well. Fantastic to hear Eddie Howe speaking there. Let's talk a bit about what he said then. Not in our sights. And that's very true. I think if you'd asked any Newcastle United fan, and I went up yesterday before the game to speak to a few, and not one said that they thought they would have been in the top four. You know, They would have laughed out of Tyneside's we said Newcastle are going to qualify for the Champions League. And I think when Eddie Howe wakes up this morning uh, and he looks back on what he's achieved, he may have to pinch himself because it is a fantastic achievement. Yeah, Eddie Howe, he's sort of been having to give the same answers to us recently when we've been saying, you know, just give us something about what you're feeling about the Champions League. And you generally do get the feeling that at the start of the season, he just wanted an improvement on last year. Better the tenth place finish, you know, maybe go on a little bit of a cup run. I don't think, you know, by any means. And also the owners, by all means, wanted Champions League. I don't think they ever expected it to come this soon after the takeover. Um, well ahead of schedule, and it just means, you know, next season really important to make sure they try and keep that momentum going. Peter says he was hoping for seventh. Uh, Neil says quite an amazing achievement. Well done to everyone associated with the club. I mean, if I think back to our season preview, I said 11th to 13th, didn't I? I feel like that's pretty pessimistic, is it? 11th to 13th? And a cup run. I think I said I think I said top half and a cup run and I thought they'd finish 8th. I mean, that's been... This is, well, it's beyond anyone's wildest dreams, isn't it? And he mentioned there 
the owners, obviously you had the chairman over from Saudi Arabia to take in the game. You had Jamie Rubin, a man of stable, you had Gadusi as well, uh, as usual, in their, their seats. Um, and not that I believe that they've ever once doubted about buying Newcastle United, but they got another real sense of why it was just such a, a brilliant decision, isn't it? Because the atmosphere, the scenes at the end, not to mention the fact they're in the top four, they'll be sitting there thinking, what a bargain we got. Yeah, I think when you're getting quoted prices like four billion for Chelsea and three hundred million for Newcastle, it seems like a bit of a no-brainer, doesn't it? I mean, as I, as I've just touched on, Stavely, could you see even Aramayan? I don't think any of them expected the success they've had in such a short short period of time. Um, the club, as you say, is looking like an absolute steal now at three hundred million. Um, and yeah, it's just. Where, where do they go next season? What's the game? Where can they finish? I've seen somebody in the comments there a lot earlier, I'm not sure who it was, saying, can they win the title? I mean, Eddie Howe's certainly not going to make any promises about that, but, you know, what can they do? That's the question now. It was John who said, can we win the Premier League next season? It sounds balmy, but so the top four at the start of the season, and City surely won't do it. It will be four seasons in a row, and that just doesn't happen. Well, I will say... City are excellent and they will strengthen in the summer as well. It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because I think my main concern right now is how they get the balance. How do they make sure this squad is capable of Champions League football and not slipping in the Premier League? Because I think the first question has to be, what is the Premier League hope for Newcastle next season? Do you take a decent run in the Champions League maybe get into another final of one of the domestic cups and finishing sixth in the Premier League? Like what what is the aim next season in the Premier League? And I think whatever the answer is to that, and everyone will have different opinions, I think that then kind of moulds what you do in the summer, obviously, and then what you do in the Champions League as well. I think it, it it's so I mean this happens so many times in the Premier League. You see a club maybe punch above their weight in the league, they reach Europe the next season, they're at the other end of the table. Leicester win the league in 2016, fighting relegation the next season. West Ham this season, going all the way in the Europa Conference League with a with a, quite a hefty squad, smack bang in the relegation battle. So, Eddie Howe last night came out and said, I don't think it's going to be a big spend. I don't think we've got the, you know, the resources to do it. They're going to need to if they want to fight on both fronts. And I think it comes down to what you've just said. Do they prioritise another shot at trying to crack the big six in the Premier League, or do they say, right, we've got to try and get a you know a memorable Champions League run under the belt? Jan says the aim should be to win a cup and retain our Champions League position next season. Philip says Leicester won the title. Why can't we, especially with more top recruitment, the belief and feel-good factor is with us. Long shot, yes, but so is qualifying for the Champions League. Now, I think in an ideal world, you go, right, we will battle for the top four <laughs> and we will have a Champions League run and a run to a final. But to do that, you're going to have to go all guns out this summer. You're not only going to have to buy top quality players, but you're going to have to buy enough players to to thicken the squad out. And you don't want to just buy for buying sake, which is another element. And also, if you're looking at someone, let's even say, right, a Calvin Phillips, who I think you mentioned a few weeks ago, who is going to be cheaper than Declan Rice, players in a similar position. He's going to be cheaper. He's not as good, but he's, he, he's on that level, isn't he? That's still going to be a large chunk of your budget. So that I think the biggest concern when you look at transfers is the person who's counting the uh, the pennies, they've got a huge job ahead of them because is it you go out and buy one big, big player, spend seventy hundred million on them, and then look to bring in four or five with what, a remaining hundred million potential. I mean, we don't know what the budget's gonna be, but the person with the calculator in the hands, that's not a, a job I envy. Yeah, I saw I saw a good debate on social media last week about how many players Newcastle fans wanted them to sign a lot of people saying let's just spend 80 90 million on three first team players they need more than that they walk into the first team but I agree I think they need more but you know they need I think six or seven we saw this season January Sheffield Wednesday in the FA Cup huge rotation by Eddie Howe and that was the result and I just think this squad to fight on four fronts next season and try and maintain a top four position and have a good goal at the Champions League and also end their domestic cup run. Look, I love this squad a bit, but 
I just don't know if they've got the legs. So uh, for me, yeah, you need another six or seven in the summer. How though, you know, whether he's bluffing us or not, doesn't really seem like he wants to do that. Well, this is Eddie Howe who did hint that Sean Longstaff wouldn't be seen again this season. And oh, there he does is, puts I mean. in a, a man-of-the-match performance against Leicester City. So, you know, <laughs> you'll walk up to uh, St James's Park on July the 1st and there'll be Mbappé and, and Neymar starting with black <laughs> and white shirts. Uh, Ian says, need to spend, spend some money on great quality players. Uh, Graham says he wants European qualification and second round of the Champions League next season to keep the cash cow rolling. And Neil agrees with the conversation we haven't. That's our major problem is, I think, the budgetary issue. Because, again, if I ask you now about the, the positions they need to strengthen, I'm looking at a left-back. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at a centre-back. I'm looking at a defensive midfielder. I'm looking at another striker. Now, that's four without then putting in, you'd want, I think you'd want another wide man mm-hmm. and potentially a right-back. And, you know, there's, there's whispers of a goalkeeper as well. So... But I think the four definitely are left-back, centre-back, defensive midfielder and a striker. Now, if you're looking to bring in someone to rival the players you've got in that, those positions already, they're going to have to be top-quality players. They're not going to be cheap at all. Yeah, I think when you look at that team and you look at the start on 11, for example, I think we, we've touched on that a lot the last couple of weeks. A left-back definitely loved our burnt a bit, but... You know, we need someone who's actually going to go forward a lot. You know, someone who's actually playing in left-back. Certain midfielder, because they're so light, they probably need two, I think. And still, personally, I think I would like another right midfielder. That alone, three first-team players, you're not going to get for under £100 million. You're understanding now they know they're in the Champions League. Will the work start? I mean, I say the work will start. Obviously, they've probably already been picking up the phone and making tentative kind of reach-outs. But now they know for sure Champions League football... Are you expecting the work to start straight away? Oh, absolutely. I think I think as soon as it looked like a realistic possibility, I mean that that transfer shortlist changes massively. The type of player you can attract now that they're in the big competition, it's ridiculous. Um again it just goes back to what Howe wants to do. Does he want to go all out and get big name players that are gonna instantly improve this team and make them a real force? Or does he think we need to be careful? We need, you know, a bit of depth. We need to strengthen a, a, a number of positions. It's the balance that he's got to get right, but it's exciting. It's exciting because oh, it's, it is, it there's is. so many possibilities. But it's interesting well because you can attract a better quality of player without a shadow of a doubt. But again, those players will cost money. You look at the chap that we're linked to, to last week. I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name, are you? Sly. There we go. That was just a noise. But yeah, that guy... <laughs> what, 70-odd million is his, his, his release clauses. Again, that's a massive part of the budget. And then you look around and you say, okay, you spend that. And as we say, then you go and spend 10 million on this chap. You know, you go and spend 15 mi- million maybe on Tyler Adams or Philip Billen, who are good Premier League players. But then they're going to be expected to, to step up 11 and play in the Champions League. And it, that balance is going to be massive because you're essentially relying on your 70 million pound midfielder to hit the ground running and to then you know also raise the level of the the, the people who are maybe the stop gaps for one of a better phrase yeah and I think for all a lot of these players have more than earned that shot at Champions League football next season a lot of them that were on the scrap heap not too long ago the level is just so different they're gonna have to really really improve as a group improve individually and I just think the temptations there to go out and sort of fix the problem by spending a lot of money and I think that's what Howe's maybe against uh, John says from what I've seen of slight. give me credit for trying he says I think it'd be a great signing top class going forward with pace and a good work ethic and Eddie's stewardship Philip says I'd say we need five maybe six 50 million type players sorry five 50 million type players 250 million is that a realistic no. Uh, number no <laughs> Uh, can we do that financially? I don't know. Left back, centre back, number 10, right winger and centre uh, defensive midfielder. So Phillips got the targets we had in mind, although his calculator may be broken. I guess the key question everyone's asking, Aaron, really is, is about financial fair play. What does qualifying for the Champions League do for Newcastle on, on that front? And also the sponsor, the change in sponsor that we're all expecting to happen in the summer. I mean, 
just qualifying for the Champions League alone, the, the, the financial benefits are ridiculous. Money for reaching the group stage, win bonuses, draw bonuses for every result you have. Huge sums of money if you make it out the group stage. We're talking, you know, 15 odd million just for getting out the groups. Also, what it's going to do in terms of attracting sponsors, you know, the options that they can do now financially, commercially, the sponsors are going to be wanting to get involved with the club because of, you know, the global platform they're on. It's huge, but, you know, these are benefits that we probably feel in a season or two. Not right now. And I think it goes back to that point that they need to improve their revenue streams. They haven't got many sellable assets. Yes, there's money in the bank and the owners can pump a lot of money in if they want to, but they're trying to do it sustained. They're trying to do it slowly and, and naturally and organically. And Eddie Howe, every time we speak about it, he plays down the fact that they're going to go out and just be trigger happy with the credit card. It's interesting as well because if you go out and you buy a player who has been on the record, I want Champions League football. So let's look at Ruben Neves, for example. You know, he pretty much said after the game, uh, the last home game there at Wolves, that you know it was pretty much his, his last game for for the club at home. You know, that was the question, and he said, I, "I've made no bones about it. I want to play Champions League football." So he set his stall out. You go and sign Ruben Neves, right? Do you think players like him who's who've said that's what I want to do, that's where I want to play? We'll be looking at it and going, you've qualified for the Champions League, but what's going to happen next season? What's going to happen this season after? Are there some players who maybe don't want to join this train at the, at the station it's at now and they're waiting to see which train it's, which station it's going to be at in, in three or four years' time? Um, I think yes, but probably not in the case of someone like Neves, maybe. I think maybe, just plucking a name off the top of my head, maybe Declan Rice, let's say. I'm not saying Newcastle are ever going to go in for him. I think it's far too much money. But, you know, a really established club like Arsenal who have been in and around the top six for 10 years, is that more attractive? I, I don't know. But I think for players like Neves, I think you only have to look at war flags last night and what they've done at the stadium, the atmosphere. James Madison and Harvey Barnes last night will have been looking at that and thinking, it's a train I want to get on. I don't think they'll be put off by the... You know how early it is into this journey. I think if anything, Trippier and Bruno have shown it's the right time to get in right now. So I guess what that means is that you track, you can attract a better level of player, but then there's levels within oh, within levels. Absolutely, as well, isn't it? Newcastle United aren't going to be competing with Manchester City for players this summer. I don't think. Um, Christopher says, if it was your choice, who would you get? So, I mean, Aaron's is an easy one. He's going to name his firstborn after this player. Musa, yeah. Musa, yeah. Musa Diaby for you. Yeah. For me. If you're talking about the, the priority, I think it is a, is a defensive midfielder. It's a rival, Sean Longstaff. Now, is this not going to be the one you're going to name your first one after? Go on, James. Do you know? No, I don't think I don't think he's a defensive midfielder at Newcastle United. See, Tyler Adams for me, but I don't think he's I don't think he's the number one name I'd go. Out. I, he's the, he's someone I'd like to see Newcastle sign because I think he can do a, a job there and he can be a really good squad player. He's been needs his best player this season, but I think they'll be setting their sights slightly higher. And you know, there's a good chance it'll it'll potentially be a, a defensive midfielder from from one of the European leagues that you know, very few of us can claim to be an expert on. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, they'll be casting the net far and wide, hoping to find the next. Botman and Bruno, which we all know don't go on trees, but yeah, I, I certainly think they'll be they'll be looking abroad as well. I did joke with my wife last night that um, I've come up with a, a baby name for our, for our firstborn in July, and it is just Nick Pope. <laughs> and how did you take that? Not very well. Oh, I'm, I'm surprised by that. Not very well at all, but uh, got a better reaction than Shearer. But yes, that Nick Pope save that's what Nick did to me last night. Um, but yeah, interesting to see how the transfer window works. Uh, but what's important to reference as well, because it's already happened this morning, it's happened throughout the season, Newcastle United have bought their way to top four football. And as I said right at the start, quite frankly, that is a load of nonsense. Okay, I could use a different word there, but we know sometimes as a younger audience watching, a load of nonsense. I've got the stats here, right? Bottoming, Pope and Trippier, 37 games they featured in, uh, this season for Newcastle United, right? Okay, so they're the they're the, they're number one in the list. However, you then go below that. Jacob Murphy, 35, 14 starts. Share, 35, 35 starts. Willick, 
35 appearances, 31 starts. Almiron, 35, 28. Longstaff, 33, 28. Joe Linton, 32, 30. Callum Wilson, 30, 21. This team has been built upon many of the players who were here before the takeover, before Eddie Howe. And Eddie Howe deserves credit. His coaching staff deserve credit for improving these players. It's about hard work and commitment on the training pitch. It's not about money. That's played such a small factor. And it's about time that critics look a lot closer and do their research because Eddie Howe does not get enough credit for the work he has done to these players. I think if any critics are still saying that now, openly on national media or radios or newspapers, you know, they're really stealing a living. I mean, how many times do we have to go over this thing that, you know, 60, 70% of how we start at 11 every week are players inherited? It's, it's an absolute, it's, it's, it's baffling. It is, it is. And I just, I just love the fact that we're sitting here and we're talking about some arrivals, but none of us would be surprised if Jacob Murphy or Sean Longstaff were here and playing a massive role next season. I mean, Sean Longstaff was set to be out the door under Steve Bruce. I mean, Jacob Murphy didn't even have a career at Newcastle under Steve Bruce. And here they are playing instrumental roles in, in helping Newcastle get to the top four. Sean Longstaff, what a massive boost it was to have him back last night. Yeah, really, really good. You know, the whispers started to come out about an hour or two before kick-off that he was back. As you say, despite Eddie Howe, oh, on Friday, he hasn't even trained. He, he's not going to be back for Monday. Very sneaky by Eddie. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I say they didn't need Joe Linton because they didn't really need to control the game, but I thought Longstaff, again, doing what he does best. Good on the ball, grafting off it. And I think, yeah, him and Murphy and all these players, they've got a part to play, whether it's going to be, you know, starting every week next season, who knows. But I can't see any of them going. He nearly had a Steven Gerrard moment, though, didn't he? In the slip. Oh, could you imagine? I mean, oh. he recovered, though. Yeah. Fair play that to him. Matters, the recovery. He recovered, and we'll, we'll, we'll not need to mention it again. But, yeah, tremendously long staff back in the side, full of running, could have had a goal himself, um, and what a boost it was to have him back. Bruno Agamoresh looked like he was back to his best. However... I can't go through the whole season complaining about VAR without mentioning the fact that VAR, in my view, and someone will come back with a rule book and say, well, where was the intent, etc., etc. But if you're a Leicester City fan, you're absolutely raging that Bruno did not get sent off for that challenge. And you know what it is? I haven't seen one Newcastle United fan disagree with you. I think it was a pretty unanimous call as to think... How on earth has he got away with that? Is it because of how early in the game it was? Is it because there wasn't intent? Who knows? But I tell you what, John Terry and Dean Smith, who were, you know, a matter of metres away from me, were not happy. John Terry, full of expletives at the fourth You can't blame them. It was I mean, it, well, it was a very poor decision. Yeah. What, I mean, again, I don't want to beat the job, but what on earth are they looking at? If they're, like someone said to me, I think it might be on the Sky commentary as well, something about the fact that... It, it, he maybe a little bit pulled out or something like but just look at it for what it was it was a horrendous challenge (laughs) yeah Yeah, I agree and the fact that Andre Mariner the referee wasn't even asked to go up the monitor or anything like that it was uh, he got away with one very early doors and that would have changed the entirety of the game when it ends but what I was impressed with obviously it's a very early booking and there was an instance late in the first half a rare a very rare um venture into Newcastle's half and, and Leicester running towards, I can't remember who the player was, and you can see Bruno, he goes to grab him, then he pulls up because he realises he's on a yellow and he pulls him down and he's off. And again, it just shows a level of maturity there. Look, he's he's absolutely crackless for want of a better phrase and I love watching him. He's eccentric. You don't know what he's going to do. He's passionate. But it was good to see, refreshing to see that, you know, he, you know, he can't think about what he needs to do because, you know, other players maybe would have just pulled that guy back and then he would have got his second yellow. There's a couple of times in the in the first and second half where he goes to sort of dive into a 50-50 as well as that and thinks a bit better of it. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have liked to have seen him suspended on the final day, so yeah, good to see he stayed on the pitch. Graham says, it was an orange for me. No intent, but a lucky, lucky boy. Philip says, what about Barnes, Madison, Ward-Prowse? I know people will say they got them got their teams relegated, but look at Pope if they stay up. Um, I'm not sure if you mean stay up, but yeah, etc. Anyway, but yeah, um, them three names, 
Yeah, I'm, uh, we had this discussion last week. I'm really, really not against signing players from relegated teams. I think sometimes you can get absolute bargains, um, as you know, Ginny Wijnaldum leaving Newcastle probably proves. I think, um, yeah, I think if Leicester go down, there's definitely deals to be made there. Um, Everton maybe not so much. Leeds maybe, and, and Southampton certainly. So, um, yeah, all three of those names I, I, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't say no to. And of course, they'll have various suitors. Newcastle are definitely going to have to compete against uh, a few teams to get you know, the players in the summer. There's an interesting comment I wanted to read you from Neil Lennon, obviously ex-Lesser City uh, midfielder, ex-Celtic boss. And he says that Newcastle United could be the surprise package in the Champions League next season. The full quote, he was speaking to the BBC Five Live, and he said... They've had a brilliant season, some brilliant individuals, but the team as a whole has been the star. You've got to give huge credit to how they've been good to watch, resilient at times. They've got to a cup final, and I think they could be the surprise package in the Champions League next year. They'll invest in the team. St James Park will be a cauldron on a European night, and that will stand them in good stead going into the tournament because they'll need that home support. But can they be the surprise package? Good to see, firstly, that he's forgiven his feud with Shira clearly after all those years. Um... Look, this is Eddie Howe's Newcastle United. Never say never. Nobody give them a chance of, of reaching the top four. I suspect it'll be a similar case in the Champions League next season. You never know. As Lennon says there, those Champions League nights back at St James's are going to be... Got goosebumps just thinking about them. It's going to be a, a really, really hard place to come. As to whether it can be a surprise package, I don't know. Maybe. Fingers crossed. And, well, look, fingers crossed. I would love them to go on a on a sort of similar type run that they did in the Europa League ten years ago. But well, this is the issue because then their league so well, this is exactly form what, this suffered. Is exactly what I mean. Yeah. But make no bones about it, Eddie Howe and the owners, they're not just going to go into the Champions League and make up the numbers, are they? No. Well, our colleague Hugh and Kelly asked exactly that question last night and, and got a typical Howe answer, and that is they want to win every game. Um, no matter whether they're playing, you know, Leicester at home or Real Madrid away, um, and I can guarantee that you know, not like their European camp campaign ten years ago, they won't just go out and sign Vernon and Nita this summer. So, I think we'll be in safe hands. I think Vernon gets bad press, you know. Vernon no, and Nita no, alongside not, other players. I know, I know what you're saying. I'm just going to say Vernon and Nita alongside other players, right? He would have been a cracking little player. That wasn't that wasn't a dig at Vernon and Nita. I'm saying they will go out and spend more than just a, a couple of million on one player after reaching European football. However, you raise a good point because we th think back to Vernon's uh, arrival at Newcastle and what didn't happen afterwards, i.e. more players getting signed. And like you said, that is the point to be made. They are not just going to go and sign one or two players this season. They're going to sit down properly. They're going to build a proper squad and have a real good go at it. Yeah, Absolutely, and whether it's you know three or four decent additions, or whether it's a you know a bit more of a revamp, and they go and get seven and eight um, first team and a bit more depth, it's all going to be meticulously planned. Given their record so far, I'd, I'd trust Dan Ashworth with with my money. So, yeah, I think I think when we sit here in August and we get ready for the new season, this Newcastle team will look in a lot better shape than it is now, and that's saying something. Let's have a word then about the owners. On the pitch at half time, a bit of a kickabout, uh, money donated to the food bank. You know, the chairman, you had my dad, Gadusi, Jamie Rubin, and Amanda was down there as well. Let's just a little bit of analysis on, on the whole uh, half time challenge. Don't think Murdad will be getting signed anytime soon. Uh, God bless him, he give it a good go. Ruben, though, hey, could maybe do a job. Decent, decent one, he? Um, I don't think he's wearing football boots, nah, he's wearing trainers. Yeah. Me and dad had some what looked like orange predators on, though. Yeah, he, he went all out. He definitely bought them this week. Um, and look, yes, sir, I feel his pain. You know, he, he, he got his excuses in early to Justin Lockwood and said, I've just had ACL surgery, which I can I can attest is a, is a brutal surgery. But he gave it a good go, didn't he? Three, three attempts, I think he had. Yeah, and then, then he gave it... Did I, have I seen an image of him wearing his, his suit has got a Newcastle yeah, United yeah. crest in? Took his jacket off and it had like a black and white stripes in the Newcastle badge in. What Played do you think... the crowd there. What do you think he would have taken away from from last night because obviously when he, he visits there's always a big fanfare about it you know we've, we've seen previously that um, he visited didn't he uh, before they went out and signed Alexander Isaac um, when Newcastle felt it was originally too much money then Callum Wilson goes off injured against Man City wasn't it 
and all of a sudden the deal happens, Albemarle's here. What does he take away from, from last night? Or do you think he's already made his conclusions and, and, and you know, last night he was there for the occasion? I think I think he was mostly there for the occasion last night. You see the games he's been to previously, Tottenham at home, first game of the new regime, Arsenal last season, you know, similar to last night. Um, we did try and press Eddie Howe on this after the game and he was given nothing away but what, you know, had been said between him and the players. Um, but, you know, we understand that, you know, they will be talking this week with the executives about what they plan to do in the summer. Um, what will he take away? I think he'll take away another really good night and I think he knows, look, given what PIF invest and they know that, that they can really improve this team and I think if they can get top four what they've got, the possibilities are endless if they just get the money out of this summer. And they'll definitely think it's been a good investment so far. Absolutely. And also... Tomorrow, big day for for us. We're, we're trying out on the pitch tomorrow as well, aren't we, for the play on the pitch? I won't be there, unfortunately. I thought you were going to come and no, show support from the stands. Physio's giving me the air. No good, so unfortunately I won't be there. But we'll have a we'll have a good representation from the Cron in the in the media game. Yep, I will be hobbling back to the office, no doubt, with my hamstring having popped out. <laughs> I'll be putting a little video together as well of the day. Let's watch out for that on our YouTube uh, video. At full time, Aaron, obviously you had the um, the, the lap of honour. In Amanda Stavely, very emotional tears in her eyes. I think she was caught up by not quite believing what Nick Pope had to do at the end, not quite believing what Newcastle Knight achieved, and obviously just the emotion. Some critics will say, well, you know, it's 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 too much, what have you. But you get the sense that she, she really believes in, in, in what's happening here. Yeah. I've I've seen a, a few critics of Stavely in the last couple of months saying that doesn't seem genuine and it's inauthentic, but I really don't get that. I generally do see a, a co-owner there who really has bought into the project, especially having to wait so long to get her hands on it. You saw the interaction she had with Graham Jones last night. I mean, this is Graham Jones, so it's not even Howard Tyndall. Graham Jones got a big minute-long hug, kisses on the cheeks, a really in-depth conversation after... She's chatting to Pope, Bruno, Botman. I think she's really, really bought into the club and what it means to be the owner of the club. Um, and when you compare that to some of the owners in Premier League football at the minute, I think that's that can only be a good thing. Yeah, I'm just now trying to see whether Nick Pope actually managed to get into that team photo because oh, <laughs> it's sorry, gone around yeah. on social media that, bless him, Pope, he was getting interviewed as the big team photograph was happening. So... I was just trying to quickly find it there, but obviously, I mean, there's so much content gone out last night. Now, is he in here? I don't think he is, you know. I mean, my eyesight's not brilliant, but I don't, because he, he was behind. I can't see it. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's too many people there in that photo to see, but I did see that. Everyone's getting the team photo. Serena's telling them all cheer and shout, and Nick Pope's doing his air. Uh, his media duties in behind. It's. I mean, look, that's commitment to the cause. It's quite the photograph. I was zooming in now. The chairman. Now, well, we should be able to see him behind if he is there, right? Oh, I, I love that. I just look, look at the expressions on the fans behind them as well. Absolutely brilliant. I don't think he is in. So I'm sure someone's already photoshopped them in. Okay? And made sure he is in. But what a night for some of these players. I mean, the one that stands out is, is Dan Byrne. Imagine if you'd said to Dan Byrne that not only in Newcastle are you going to qualify for the Champions League, they're also going to do it with you in the side as a left-back. I mean, your play as a left-winger on the final home game of the season because that's how uh, poor the opposition are. But they'll also be singing your name on the terraces, and not just any terrace, the Gallagher end. With a fantastic chant to boot as well, by the way. Not just any old bog-standard chant. Um, look, for me last night, it was um, when I got home from the game and, and, and started working and... Jacob Murphy, I saw him getting interviewed and I saw Sean Longstaff getting interviewed. That was what it was about for me. These players that have supported the club for years, they've seen heartaches. They're now, a lot of them, I mean, Murphy and Longstaff especially, you know, seemingly didn't have a future at the club. Now they're playing such a big part. And I just think, and I know this is this might not be a popular thing to say, but if Newcastle United ever go like Man City and it's a team of superstars and foreign imports and players that they've signed and they don't have any, you know, sort of relationship with the club prior. 
just not sure if it will feel as special as last night will with all those sort of local lads on the pitch. Well, I've written a piece and it'll be up on Lion later, but in many ways, it feels like you also have another 14, 15 adopted Geordies. You have the players you mentioned there, Longstaff, Byrne, Elliot Anderson. They know about the tales of all. They know about the entertainers. They know about Sir Bobby in the new camp. And, you know, they know hopefully about the, the magic of Supermark and you know the, the clinicalness of, uh, of War Jackie. And they can tell them stories. But also I get the feeling that actually the players they've got in this squad at the moment, even Bruno all the way from Brazil, you know, Kieran Trippier, they know exactly the history of this club, the traditions, the legends that have gone before them. And they know what those stories mean to this fan base, but they also, and more importantly, want to create their own legacy here. And I think that's really important. Yeah, and, and credit needs to go to Eddie Howe for that because he's said numerous occasions how he's tried to get the history. You know, he's spoken to people that were there in the 90s. He's, you know, informed the players about this is how long it's been from a trophy. This is what they did, you know, back in the glory days. Um, and yeah, look, we, we haven't actually touched on it yet. Howe feels like the adopted Joy Dunn. He's only been here, what, 18 months? You know, he's... he's he left the South Coast where he was, you know, loved at Bournemouth. It was all he'd known pretty much apart from Burnley. Um, and already he's he's sort of written his name at the history books. And do you know what the best thing about that is, though? In a few weeks' time when it's all settled and Newcastle are you know, planning for the United States and, you know, maybe a few transfers have already been sorted out, he's not just going to sit back and think, oh, well, I've, I've achieved here. You know, if he finishes his time at Newcastle, whenever that might be, and all he's got in his pocket is getting Newcastle to a cup final and the top four. He'll be good. He'll be good He'll because be he doesn't want to end it there. He wants to win something. You know, that's what he wants to do. And I love the fact that he set those standards for himself and for the players and for the, for the owners as well to say, look, we can't just be top four contenders. That's not the legacy I want to build. There's a great answer from him last night where he, he was asked um, in the press conference, where does this rank in your, in your achievements in your career? And he said, it's, it's not a trophy. It's an amazing achievement with an amazing group. We're delighted, we're proud, but you know, I want to win silverware at this club. And I just think how refreshing is that to hear that from a manager who, you know, when the, after Chelsea this weekend and the players go off on holiday and they go to, back to Brazil and the America and all that, Eddie Howe, I mean, bless his poor wife, Eddie Howe will be there working out what to do next season, working out what they need. Um, and that's just the type of manager he is. There's no time to stand and pat yourself on the back because you know that it can all change so quickly. Uh, Caleb says, imagine how many more Anderson's, Longstaff's and Miley's there would be in 10 years because of the inspiration instilled in the fans. Great point. Yeah, fantastic. And Anderson's a, a great role model for those, just a couple of years younger than him, who have got ambitions to be in that 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 side. And Miley, obviously, with it, with his new contract, yeah. And I think that's the other thing we're talking about: the amount of money they're going to spend on on new rivals, but also there's a big focus on improving the quality within the academy. And, and hopefully, in three or four years' time, we will really start to see the benefits of that at Newcastle United. Yeah, we saw it last summer. Obviously, Dan Ashworth came in and said we need to pick the standard up of the youth teams. They've tried to do that with a couple of decent additions from, from other um, teams around the UK. I think that'll only um, increase over the next couple of years. Newcastle are now going to have to play in the UEFA Youth League. Um, now that they're in the Champions League, that is going to be a huge step up for their youngsters. So I, I think we'll see a lot more investment in the uh, in the youngsters in the next couple of years. Derek says he took your poor comment on board when he made the same comment recently about relegated players coming to Newcastle. But he says, I've looked and I can't see many other examples of successes at the top end of the table. He points out Calvin Phillips uh, helped lead step and then went off to Manchester City. Thoughts on that one? Um, so what's he saying? That he, that he isn't... He doesn't want team players who have gone down. Nah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I just... I don't buy into it. I think if you add someone like... I mean, look what... The likes of Madison and Barnes has done the last couple of years at the top level. I think you can't write them off after just a you know a bad season for whatever reason. Interesting. What did you make of the fact Madison didn't start yesterday? Um, Smith came out last night and said it was tactical. He explained his reasons. He wanted someone different off the bench. They had to try someone new because it hasn't been working. I don't think it was anything to do with 
any potential move. That's just my opinion. But is it also not hint at the fact? I mean, so so he wasn't in the side because he doesn't have the discipline to do what they wanted from the off. He was more on the bench because he could be that special weapon to bring off. They wanted to play four four two and defend very deeply. That leaves you know not a lot of room for Madison and Barnes in that team. Um, when you're not attacking, they're not really defensive players. He wanted different options off the bench, which we saw. I mean, Madison came on at half time. Barnes came on when they changed that formation. I think he just wanted something else. And Smith was asked about it last night because obviously Barnes and Madison are the two top scorers, and he said it was nothing personal. They just needed to. They just needed to make a sacrifice for the team. Uh, Philip says, "How is only going to get better as a manager once he has European experience and going up against the best?" One hundred percent agree with you on that, Philip. Uh, just finally on, on last night's game, we talked about the sellable assets they've got, and there aren't many. Um, but do you think it was a farewell for for a few of them last night? Yeah, certainly. I think um, very very nice to see Loris Carius and Emil Kraft invited back on the pitch full time. Neither of them have played a Premier League game this season. I think that'll be the last we see Carius. I think you know a few players out of contract. Um, yeah, I think for a lot of them, and Eddie Howe was asked about it last night, I think for a lot of them it'll have been very emotional because they won't get to continue this journey. Um, I won't be surprised to see a, a lot of them go this summer. But they will have the, I guess, the memories of being part of that team that beat the drop a few seasons ago and then qualified for the Champions League. Yeah, exactly. And you only have to, I mean, Isaac Hayden summed it up perfectly summer. He said, the lads know where this club's going. The likes of me, Shelby, we've done such a good thing we've taken the club from the championship and kept them in the Premier League we know that we can't be on the journey forever but we've done our part and we can just support them and I think that's the way that a lot of them will look at it the club's only going one way and unfortunately for some of them they just you know they don't have a future it'll be interesting to see who does indeed get shipped out but like I say those who do fantastic servants for the club now I'm going to finish off with a bit of trivia oh, okay are you ready mm-hmm Actually, before I do that, I've just thought of something I also want to say. Eddie Howe, manager of the season. We spoke about it last week. For me, him now securing top four football, regardless yeah. of everything else that's happened. It's a he has to have it. Got to win it. Just think about that achievement, man. Like, actually, when you break it down, you think about that achievement. If Man City hadn't won the title, it would have been, it would have, you know, they were expected to win the title. Arsenal, make no bones about it bottled it and I'm sick of people saying Arsenal didn't bottle it they bottled it right so I'm sorry Arteta does not win manager of the season uh, Marco Silva good job but then if you're Thomas Frank you're fuming you're not in that list by all accounts I think that's a bizarre one Eddie Howe has to win manager of the season yeah I think I'm, I'm a little bit worried Pep's going to steal it because of another title and you know all this stuff about them winning the treble which shouldn't have any impact on the Prem uh, award but look we all know Eddie Howe should win it it'll be a shame if he doesn't has to win it and is, is there a chance to reopen the nomination list and hire Nick Pope save of the season have they done the save of the season not yet? sure not you'd sure. win that as you'll well you'll have to write the Premier League if not few yeah you wish you wait that's my YouTube video for tomorrow quick question there from Darren he says he can't see the bottom three changing now Everton look his club in the Premier League just staying up <laughs> do you think he's right is the bottom three as it is obviously Southampton are, are down is it then Leeds and Leicester? Yeah, I think Leeds, that their fate was pretty much sealed on, on Sunday when they got beat off West Ham. Leicester have given themselves a chance, but when you look at Everton's game Sunday, I think it's just going to be a game too far for them. Um, and I agree, I think Everton are lucky to stay in the division again. Two years in a row, they've, they've nearly snuffed it. Can't wait for the uh, parade outside Goodison when they do, <laughs> when it uh, do stay up. Newcastle, will they finish third? Or does it not really matter? You don't really care. I'm not, honestly, I'm just not even bothered at all. Actually, I'm not. Hopefully, I'd like to see them end with a win on Sunday, but um, obviously, my United have got that game in hand, and yeah, it doesn't really matter. They're over the line, that's all that matters. There we have it, right. Trivia time. Hit me. Are you ready? Yeah. So, Newcastle United's last game in the Champions League yeah. against Barcelona, yeah. March 19th, 2003. 2-0 mm-hmm. to Barcelona. Yeah. I'm very simply just going to ask you yep. to name the starting 11. Shea given and goal. Yep. Andy Griffin at right back. Yep. Titus Bramble centre back. Yep. Andy O'Brien centre back. Yep. 
Olivia Bernard left back. Yeah. Solano right midfield. Correct. Dyer and Genas in the middle. Correct. Robert left midfield. Correct. Shira Bellamy. Now, the sceptic of me says you definitely did this yesterday. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. You definitely did this yesterday. I don't know what yesterday. you're talking about, honestly. Definitely that is just top tier Newcastle United knowledge there, yeah, sorry. Let us know in the comments if you believe Aaron had not already done that bit of trivia and then just tried to bluff his way through like it was an utter surprise. Next week, I'm going to make it very, very difficult for you to get any marks on every any trivia that I put forward to you. But, as always, thank you very much, guys, for tuning in to myself and Aaron on the Monday show once again on a Tuesday. It's been an absolute pleasure. There are a few tickets remaining for our live event this Thursday at the Tyneside Irish Centre. Do go and get yourself a ticket just £5 is really important funds for the food bank. Nobby Solano, the main guest, alongside Aaron as well. Uh, Simon Bird from The Mirror. Matthew Weisbeck from BBC Newcastle, the writer. And Keon Kelly. It's going to be an absolutely fantastic evening from myself and Aaron. We shall see you guys very soon.